Well, welcome to our Savior's Church this morning. We're going to continue in our series, Off the Chain. And last week we had a, how many of you were here last week? Just raise your hand real quick. How many of you had a great time last week? Come on. We had, we had scheduled to baptize about five people and we set this big old baptismal up right here and, and, and we started baptizing people and after the, the, the three were baptized, I, I just opened it up. I said, does anybody else want to be baptized? And it, it took a moment and it, it, it was kind of awkward. You know, sometimes you got to go through the awkwardness of silence to get to the presence of God, Right. And so then all of a sudden, this one girl gets up and she comes down just bawling her eyes out. And it's like she, she just opened the floodgates and everybody started coming. And by the end of the day, Sunday, we had three salvations. Come on, that's a good place to give a hand clap right there. And we had 16 baptisms with only three scheduled. <laughs> Come on, that's good stuff. And so I just heard great stories about how people were just standing there praying and they kept hearing something say, just go. Just go, just step out, just go. And they did, and they were baptized in Jesus' name. Amen? Great Sunday. I'll tell you what, I, I got re-nicknamed this week by Pastor Bubba. Uh, we have a pastor's meeting every Tuesday. He now calls me Jamie the Baptist. <laughs> yeah, we're full of jokes. But uh, it was a great time, and I thought we had a, a great time in God's Word last week. We talked about uh, living off the chain, and, and we talked about just getting rid of the chains that are on us and not letting chains come back on us. And we really tackled the issue of religion versus gospel last week. And, and, and it was good because there were some things in there that I felt like just really freed a bunch of us up. And so we talked about how religion comes and says that you got to add something to your salvation experience with Jesus. Like Jesus is not enough. So what happened was, we're in the book of Galatians, what happened was, is Paul writes this book, and Paul is mad when he writes this book. Typically, Paul gives a nice little introduction where he kind of loves on the people, I'm praying for you, and I'm, I greet you, and I bless you, and da-da-da, and all these other things. This book here of Galatians, he just comes right in. And in six verses, he says the words, I am shocked that you have allowed this to happen to you. So what happened was Paul went into the area of Galatia and he starts preaching the gospel, the pure, unadulterated, unadded to gospel of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus died on the cross and was rose from the grave and you believe in your heart that that God did that and you confess with your mouth that you're saved, period. And because of that salvation experience, you now live free. You don't have to do anything else. Paul went in and he preached that gospel and, and the church in Galatia was built on that gospel. But the problem was is there were some Jewish believers at the time that were there. And when Paul would finish speaking, they would come up to, to the other believers and say, you know, Paul's, man, Paul's a great guy. Man, that was a good word, huh? Paul had a good word. But, but let me tell you, there's just one little thing Paul forgot to say. There's this thing called circumcision. How I many of you know I would have left the building? <laughs> Exit left. <laughs> Circum what? <laughs> There's just a circumcision that you need to do. So what they were doing is they were trying to get them to become Jews. And so what they were doing is they were adding to Jesus. In other words, they were saying to the new believers that in order for God to really love you, in order for you to be who you are in God, you're going to have to do something else besides just giving your life to Jesus. You see, 
you see that as religion? How many of you have been caught up in that before? I remember the day I gave my life to Jesus at a summer camp. It was at the ABC camp right here in Richard. And I went back to my home church in Franklin, and they, they brought all us little teenage boys up in front of the church. And all these boys gave their life to Jesus. And man, everybody was excited. So they made a stand there at the end of service, and everybody would come up and congratulate you. You know, oh, I'm so proud of you. You squeeze the old ladies and squeeze your cheek and all this. And I'll never forget this lady comes up to me, and she, she greets me. She goes, oh, I'm so excited for you. But you know what? You can't look at those magazines no more. You can't do this. And you, she starts giving me a litany of what I can and can't do now. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? I didn't need to hear that. I just fell in love with Jesus. I didn't want that other stuff anymore, right? So, so, so religion is when something is added to Jesus. So we answered the question, how am I going to become godly? You're going to become godly by falling in love with Jesus. Amen? Paul was upset. He came at him hard. And, and the whole book of Galatians, when you read it, it's not, a, it's not a fluffy little book. It's a book where Paul's addressing an issue. You know why? Because Paul took ownership. I led these people to Jesus with a, a true gospel. And somebody else came around and gave him a different gospel. And so Paul was attacking that. And Paul was going after that and reminding the people of Galatia of what they were saved to. We talked about the difference between religion and gospel, duty and delight, have to and want to. You know, you don't have to come to church if, you're, if you love Jesus. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. Amen? It shows up in your attitude. I get to come. I get to pray. I get to read my Bible. So turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start off in chapter 2. And by the way, I hope, you, I hope you jumped in this week. I encouraged you last week to read the book of Galatians with us. How many of you? Well, I ain't going to make you raise your hand. I'm embarrassing church this morning. But hopefully all of you that were here read through the book of Galatians in seven days. You had seven days to read through the book. It's six chapters. It doesn't take but three or four minutes to read through a chapter. A chapter a day, keep the devil away, right? If, if only that was true. Uh, actually, it draws attention to you. So... When you start reading your Bible, the enemy comes after you. So Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Watch what Paul says. He says, but when, when Cephas, or, or Peter, that's Peter's name, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when, he, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews. Peter gets called out in front of the crowd. Now, how many of you know it's not fun to get called out in front of other people, right? I mean, it's, it's embarrassing, right? Come on. Especially, first your pride rises up and you want to fight about, I ain't wrong, I ain't do that. And you want to defend yourself. But then the truth settles in and you kind of feel embarrassed because you let yourself slip. What happened was, we, when we read the Bible in that portion, we walk into an awkward moment in the Bible. 
This is an awkward moment. Think about the people there. Think what the Gentiles felt like. Think what the Jews felt like. Think what Peter felt like. Paul sees this hypocrisy and he calls it out in front of everybody. He says, how can you in one minute be a friend to the Gentiles, but then in the next minute reject them, shun them, be hypocritical towards them? Are you seeing this? So have, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an awkward moment? Anybody? Just rate real quick. Just a little crowd participate. Awkward moments. Yeah. Let me share a few awkward moments. Maybe you've seen somebody waving at you from, from a little ways off, and you really didn't know who they were, but they were waving kind of frantically, right? And, and you waved back, and then you realized they were looking past you and somebody else was waving back. You ever have one of those moments? That's an awkward moment, right? Maybe you go to give somebody a high five. You're, in a, you're maybe at a baseball game or something, and you turn to your name, ah! and they're not there. Or maybe you go to give them a high five, and they give you some knuckles. Right? Come on. It's, it's awkward, right? I got an awkward thing that happens to me every now and then. When my wife calls, I like to answer the phone sometimes with these quirky little sayings. I'll go like, hey, sexy. What's up, baby? Just kind of talk, you know, sweet to her. And I had to learn when my kids started answering the phone or started calling me from my wife's phone. You know, there's nothing more awkward than when your son's calling on your wife's phone. You pick up, you go, what's up, sexy? And you hear, this is what you hear in return. Dad? <laughs> awkward moment. All you little girls go, Dad? You're gross. What I want to tell them is you're going to be gross one day too. But there's awkward moments. And we walk into this awkward moment in the Bible where Peter gets called out in front of everybody for how he's acting. Now, let me, let me remind you of who Peter, Peter's a bad dude, right? Peter walked on water. None of the other disciples did. Peter did. Peter was at the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seen Jesus transformed. Peter was there when Jesus rose people from the dead and, and people were saved and healed and all this. Jesus, Peter saw this and he was a part of this. Peter was a bad dude, and Paul calls him out in front of everybody else because there's something important there that you got to see, that you can't be one thing at one moment and be another thing at another moment, depending on who you're hanging out with. You need to be true to yourself and who God's called you to be. Because listen to me, here's the truth. Everybody knows when you're faking it. Let's just get real this morning. Everybody knows when you're not being yourself. Right? You're trying to be a people pleaser. You're trying to do things to get people to like you. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing is when you actually get free from that, from that people pleasing thing, when you, when you get settled that I am who I am, and it's funny, it usually hits about 40. I am who I am. This is who I am. This is who God created me to be. I'm tired of trying to be somebody else. When you get that revelation and you just kind of be content with who you are and you just accept the fact that I'm a child of God and I don't have to impress anybody but God, come on, you get freed up from that. You know what happens when fake people come back around you? Does anybody know? You get a little sick in the stomach, right? You kind of get agitated when people come around and they're being fake and they're trying to please. 
and they're acting out into something that they're not. Amen? So one of the key questions I want to answer today is how do I keep from going back to my old life? Is that a good question? How do I keep from going back to my old life? I think sometimes there's a vine between religion and the gospel. And I spend most of my time swinging from religion to gospel. Religion to gospel. Come on, isn't that true? I'm, I'm hoping today I can swing to gospel and then I can cut the day gone vine. Right? I don't want to go back to my old ways. I don't want to go back to what I was taught and how I was trained when it was trained wrong. And is this making any sense? So let me answer this question. How do I keep from going back to my old life? Number one, my acceptance and approval comes from God. My acceptance and my approval comes from God. Watch what Galatians 2.12 says. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter himself, the man that seen all the great things happen with Jesus, was afraid of the other Jews who believed in circumcision. Right? So when they showed up, he was hanging out with the people that didn't believe in circumcision. That would have been me, right? So he, he would have been hanging out with those people, and then when they showed up, he withdrew himself out of fear. So you've got to be careful not to fear people, but you need to fear God, right? There's a verse in the Bible that says you don't need to be afraid of the person that can take the flesh. You need to be afraid of the person that can destroy the soul, right? So you don't need to be afraid. Your acceptance and your approval comes to God, Peter was worried about his approval. He was worried about his acceptance. He was worried about his reputation. Anybody ever be like that? You get worried about, you care more about what people think than about what God thinks. You know, as a pastor, sometimes it's hard to not be a people pleaser. (laughs) You know why? Because you want people to come back to church. (laughs) You want people to like you as a pastor. You want people to like you. You don't want them to hate you. Can I just be real with you this morning? Becoming obsessed about what others think is the fastest way to get to forget what God thinks. You got to be okay with the fact that God loves you. And that he accepts you. And that he approves of you. Is anybody okay with that this morning? I asked the question last week, what if you could believe that God's thoughts towards you were filled with joy? What if you could just accept that, that he loves me, regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I'm going to do? He loves me. Can you accept that? Can you accept the fact that it's that easy? That he accepted you before you were ever clean. He accepted you before you were forgiven. Come on, somebody. Am I in the right church? He accepted you. Are you okay with that? Can you live with that? Pleasing people is simply idolatry. That's what it is. It's making people bigger than God. And that's what we got to be careful of. Because the Bible says that God's a jealous God, right? 
And he doesn't want you to put anybody else or anything else in front of him. So if you start fearing what people think instead of fearing what God thinks about you or how God approves you, then you're going to get yourself in a place called idolatry, which is sin. So you see the cycle? When you begin to fear men, you fall into sin. You need to not care what men think. Man, this is either really good or really bad. Galatians 1.10 says this, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. That's Paul speaking. I'm not trying to please man. I'm trying to please God. I'm winning. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for God. I'm not here for people. So let me give you a little list of how to, how to know if you're a people pleaser. You ready for this? Because I think we may have one or two people pleasers in here. Maybe. I won't get you to raise your hand. Number one, do you find yourself consumed with what people think? (laughs) Number two, are you making decisions that aren't true to who you really are? Mm, These are good questions. Do you spend more time on your public profile than your personal relationships? Do you take most criticism personally? Do you feel an extraordinary fear of rejection? Are you afraid to be rejected? Are you afraid that people won't like you? Do you find it hard to express your true feelings because you don't want to hurt others? How many of you sometimes you just want to say what's on your mind? Come on. Y'all, I just want this just to see if you're going to get real this morning. How many of you just, you know what I appreciate about people that speak what's on their mind? Is that there's nothing hidden. Right? It hurts. I mean, let's just get real. It hurts when people say what's on their mind. Right? And then you got to go through the whole litany of trying to figure out, did they really mean that to hurt me? Or did they just, they're just being honest? Or, I appreciate people like that. What I don't appreciate is people that care so much about my feelings that they won't say what's true. Right? You need to appreciate people that speak the truth to you. And if they're a little bit rough with it, just be a big boy or girl and take it. Easier said than done, right? (laughs) The last question, do you have a hard time saying no? If so, you're a people pleaser. Did you find yourself in one of these questions? I'm sure you did. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, and this is a great verse. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Well, did you see that? When you start to fear man, you've laid a snare out in front of you. Come on, somebody. And you're going to walk into it. But the fear of the Lord is safe. The fear of God is only, the fear of God is the only cure for fear of people. Amen? The only way you ever get over fearing people is to fear God first. To think more about what he says and what he has to, and whether or not he approves of you or he's accepted you. You can't please everyone. You should know that by now. Right? 
you can't please everybody. And if you're trying, you're probably dying. Right? You're exhausted. And you get tired and you get weary. It's hard to make people like you. Right? You know, the the thing I don't like about Facebook, and I'm trying to quit bashing Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I use Facebook a little bit here and there. But there's one thing I just really can't stand about Facebook is that people aren't always real. They post things to make themselves look better. Right? And it's, it's out of fear that they're not being accepted. So what do they do? They, they then turn around and they see, how many likes did I get for that quote? How many comments did I get? How do I know this? I just did this the other day. I got a duck and a chicken sitting on the same clutch of eggs. And I thought it was amazing. So I snapped a picture. I said, this is great for Facebook. And I put it on Facebook. And I was so concerned about what people thought about my duck and my chicken that I kept watching. How many likes did I get? How many comments did I get? And before you know it, I had a couple people saying, you are a turkey. And then you can make a turkey and a turducken. And all. I was like, I got consumed with what people thought about my duck and my chicken. How stupid is that? Right? But you know, the same thing is true when we get concerned about what people think about us instead of what God thinks about us. Because here's the thing, you never measure up. And so because you never measure up, you're always living defeated. You're always living depressed. You're always living trying to get acceptance when you've already got acceptance. Right? It's hard to please people. It's not hard to please God because he made up his mind about you before you knew him. He loves you. He accepts you for who you are. Be who you are. Be yourself. You're the only person like you on the planet. Amen. If you ever run across somebody else just like me, catch him. So number one, your acceptance and your approval comes from God. Number two, my faith and my fears are contagious. You see, faith is contagious. Somebody steps out in faith and they make a big faith step and man, it gets contagious, right? Somebody gets healed, a miracle happens and it gets contagious. So does fear when somebody squelches back. And somebody steps down and somebody worries more about people than God. That is contagious, right? When somebody becomes religious because of fear of people and acceptance, then that's contagious. The other people around them will do the same thing. Are you seeing this? So watch what it says in Galatians. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas, one of the leaders, was led astray by their hypocrisy. Because Peter, in that moment, feared what the Jews were going to think because he was hanging out with the uncircumcised Gentiles. He, he shunned the Gentiles, hung out with the Jews, and so did everybody else. You see, his fear was contagious. You've got to understand something. Your fear is just as contagious as your faith. So the lie is, is that when I fear man instead of God, it's just me. I'm not affecting anybody else. That's not true. There's people watching me. 
there's always people watching you, right? Most people don't read their Bible, but they definitely read you. All this happens, and what, and what Paul can't believe is that it's happening with Peter. Watch what Peter did back in Acts chapter 10. You remember the story when Peter was up on the rooftop and he was praying, waiting, he was hungry. Come on, crazy things happen when you're hungry. He's on the rooftop praying, he's starving, somebody's not cooking lunch fast enough. He's praying and three times he falls into a a trance or a dream and in the dream a sheet comes down and there's all kinds of unclean animals on it and the, and the, the Holy Spirit or God tells him, says, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, oh, no, I can't. That's unclean. And the second time it happens, oh, no, I can't. It's, it's unclean. The third time it happens, no, I can't. That's unclean. He says, what I've called clean, you don't call unclean. And as soon as he heard that, there was a knock at the gate. And there were some guys that came from this guy named Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile. They came from Cornelius' house to find Peter, to get Peter to come back and to pray for them. And so watch what happens. Peter's now at Cornelius' house. And he says this, he says, Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. This is before the awkward moment in Galatians. Are you seeing this? Peter was used by God to break the bond or to break the stronghold or the fence between the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter, I mean, you think about this in history. Peter was used by God to bring the gospel to who the people, the Jews, God's chosen people thought were unclean. He's the very man, the very instrument that God used to break that. He now turns around in Galatians and he's more worried about people than he is God. And he's shunning the very people that he helped bring the gospel to. Your faith and your fear are both contagious. You want to see how that happened? A couple of verses after the verses in Acts, in Acts chapter 11, verse 2, only a couple of verses later, Peter comes back to his, his homeboys. He comes back to his buddies, and he's excited. Peter, Peter, what Peter saw was a miracle. I mean, the Spirit fell on the Gentiles that were praying in tongues, and all these things were happening, and they were all fired up and excited, and they hung out with them for a while, and all this is going on, and Peter comes back to his buddies, excited, wanting to tell them, hey, man, the, the, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. They're clean now. We can preach the gospel to them. And watch what happens. He walks in the room, and watch this in verse, verse 2 of chapter 11. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. You see, when you get free, there's automatically resistance that comes against you. The enemy's full-time job is to put chains on you. 
when you've already been set free. So we end up living in this vicious cycle of we have a moment where we get free and we're free. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We're free. There's no religion. There's no nothing. I am who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm standing before God in right standing because of what God's done, because of what Jesus did for me. I now can stand before God in right standing. We have those moments, right? And then only a few moments later, some kind of resistance comes to try and put chains on you. And you get bound up in this thing of, I'm not good enough. Well, hang on a minute. Ten minutes ago, you were plenty good enough. Right? I, I, I got I to gotta do this better. I, I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I, I got to quit cussing. I got to quit smoking. I got to quit drinking. Come on. I got to act right so I can be right. When you were already made right. Oh, Lord. Y'all got to wake up this morning. Seriously. I'm preaching better than you're responding. The challenge of Christianity is to stay free. That's the challenge. You don't have to do anything else to get God to love you anymore. The For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son before you ever got right. You can't do anything else to make God love you more. So stop trying. Stop killing yourself to try to make God to love you more because it's not going to happen. And if people come around you and they try to put some kind of religion on you, you need to tell them where to go. Peter automatically felt resistance. There's always naysayers, right? Some of you probably went home last weekend. Those of you that were baptized or even those that you watched, and you're like, man, that was a great, man, we had church. Man, it was good. Man, the Spirit of God was in the house. And I guarantee you somebody ran into some brickhead and went, oh, yeah, whatever. Right? There's brickheads everywhere. And they're always, always ready to put out a fire that God started in your life. Amen? So my faith and my fears are contagious. Number three, my relationships will help determine my direction. This is good. You got to get this one. I heard a guy say one time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. My relationships help determine my direction. Verse 14, it says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was called out in front of man. He was called out in front of a crowd of people. He was called out by his brother. He was called out by somebody that loved him. You see, only the people that love you will tell you if your flies open or if you've got a booger hanging out your nose. I'm serious. You ever make it to the bathroom and you've been by five of your friends and you look in the mirror and you got something hanging out and you're going, why didn't nobody tell me? I'm just being real this morning. Come on. It's gross. 
but it's true. Let flu season come. You're going to have all kinds of stuff hanging out your nose. And somebody that loves you will tell you. <laughs> Baby, you got some dry stuff right there. Paul loved Peter enough that he called him out in front of a group of people to restore him. You see, here's the reality of it all. We fall. You will leave church today and you may fall. You can fall at any moment. Listen, I'm one decision away from stupid. Seriously, one decision away from stupid. I can blow it all in one moment. I'm dead serious. We're going to fall. We're all going to fall. And the reason God puts you in a place with other believers is so that we can learn to lift one another up and restore one another. Not condemn one another, but restore one another and bring them back. Paul was really saying to Peter, Peter, man, you're getting a little wacky, bro. You need to straighten up. Remember, you're the one that led the, you're the, one that led the Gentiles to God. I mean, come on, Peter, what you doing? You know this ain't right. He was calling him back to where he belonged. He restored him. I got a friend of mine. His son has an issue with his, his joints and his, his arm always pops out. Poor little buddy. I mean, he used to come play at the house and poof, his arm's out. And it would be uncomfortable, but you had to know how to put it back. Right? I mean, I can't just go say, <laughs> I'd have pieces. <laughs> Send him home with a box of extra pieces. <laughs> but it, his arm would have to get reset. Right? When other believers around you fall, you need to learn how to reset them. Not condemn them, reset them. That's why you say, my relationships help determine my direction. The question is, is are you around enough people that love you enough to tell you the truth. Do you have people in your life that can tell you no? Hmm. You got a friend that can look at you when you're about to make a decision and say, that's stupid. Do you have somebody like that? You need somebody like that. Right? Paul says at the end of Galatians in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be restored or lest you be tempted also. You should restore that person. You see, you need people. You need people that love you enough to tell you the truth. Come on, it don't feel good, right? I never forget one time I was preaching and I actually before that my pastor was preaching one day and his fly was open. You want to talk about awkward. And I'm standing I'm sitting on the front row and I'm trying to get his attention. But how do you tell somebody there's their flies open when they're preaching? I mean you like I mean how somebody help me out. How do you make that sign? I mean he's like I mean what do you do? Right? And so afterwards, you know, he realized it. He, he comes down to pray, and I walk up to him. And goes, Man, God, your flies open. Oh, God. And he's like. So then a couple months later, I'm preaching. And my flies open. 
Now, this isn't a habit we have at our Savior's church, I promise you. (laughs) This isn't part of our doctrine. But my wife was on the front row. She spent the whole message trying to tell me how to zip up my fly. Uh, she, was, she had a piece of paper. She was like, she's like, your fly is open. I never got it. But when you find out something like that, what happens? You feel weird, embarrassed, awkward. First thought to mind is what color drawers were I wearing? Lord have mercy. Were they clean? I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But it's, it's not fun when people tell you the truth, right? But here's the thing you got to learn to get is when somebody comes to you with the truth, no matter how it feels, you need to take that truth and you need to bring it to God. And you say, God, is this true? Is this true? I had a guy one time, we had a party at Pastor Bubba's house. After the party, we had all our kids there, and my kids were running around buck wild, and they normally don't do that. And I got a little strong and said, hey, let's go. Time to go. Because if they don't act right, I'm going to let them know, right? And so I get all my kids up together. My wife's gone, and I'm walking out, and this guy grabs me and goes, hey, man, look. Uh, you know, man, I just, uh, Lord just gave me something about your kids. And I take my kids quite personal. He was like, you know, you, you need to back off some, man. You're a little too hard on them kids. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I mean, I'm bigger than this guy. You know, I'm not going to whoop him right there in the front yard. And he, was, he was brave. And he says, you know, you just, I'm just telling you, by the Spirit of God, you know, he, he religiousized it. By the Spirit of God, your kids, man, you're just, you're just a little too rough. I said, all right. I appreciate that. Be blessed. And highly favored. And I walked off. Watch this. It didn't leave me alone. I got mad. I got seriously mad. And we went home. And I didn't tell Cheryl anything. Because she would get mad. And you know, if I'm mad and she's mad, then that's double mad. So I go home and I put my kids to bed. And I grab my Bible. And I like to write in my Bible. That ink pen in there put my kids to bed and every one of them I pray for them and I lay hands on them and when I'm praying for them I'm like God is that true and I, I went to Virginia first I said God is that true am I too hard Lord, what, what was he really saying and the Lord gave me a word for Virginia I went oh okay then I went to Ethan's room and I laid my hands on Ethan I said, Lord, is that true? And the Lord gave me a word for Ethan. The word was, you just keep going. He's going to follow you. He's a catcher. That was the word. He's a catcher. And he's going to catch everything that you do. So you just keep going. And that little brother's going to follow you because you're his hero. In other words, you ain't got to beat it in his skull. You ain't got to chew him out. You just keep on going and he's going to follow you. The word for Virginia was, is you're going to have to push her out. And boy, that's a word. She will stay with us until we die. I promise you. We got to push her out. I got to even make her drive fast. I'm like, baby, you can do that faster than 55 miles. Seriously. You got this five-mile cushion. I'm like, going, why am I teaching my kid this? <laughs> Seriously. And then, he, then I went to Anna, my youngest one, and I said, I said, God, is that true? 
what he said. Lord, you know I'm mad, Lord. He came against my kids, Lord. I take pride in what I do with my kids. He said, man, she's tender. You're going to have to be real, real careful with her. She's real tender. And boy, he ain't lying. <laughs> so because I didn't punch him in the nose and reject what he said, and I, I, I took what he said and I went to God with it, are you seeing this? I got something that I wouldn't have gotten before. That's the value in having good people around you. Or even having the right people around you. That they will love you enough to tell you the truth in the most awkward moments. And if you'll take that truth and go back to God with it, you'll be surprised by what you get. Are you letting somebody else speak into your life? Is there somebody watching you close enough to see if you start swinging to that religious side? I hope there is. Because, man, it's a lonely place to be out there by yourself. Because you can fall into pride and thinking that you got it right and everybody else is wrong. Right? Let me read you verse 16 from chapter 2 from the message. I love the way the message reads in this one. I don't always use the message, but it, it reads well. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? Well, we tried. And we had the best system of rules the world could have, has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Come on, that'll preach. I quit being a lawman. I quit trying to get to God by my actions. And I just became accepted and approved by God. And it brought me into the place that I was supposed to be, right? So number four, let me wrap this up. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. Galatians 2, 20 to 21 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives inside of me. And the life that I now live, this flesh life, this worldly life that I live, is in faith, in Jesus. It's not in works. It's in faith. Because why? Because when I accepted Jesus Christ, he came to dwell inside of me. You're not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to be that good. 
You ought to be excited. You can take your nail bag off. You can put down your hammer. You can take your hard-working boots off. Because here's the hardest thing I find in Christianity in talking about this. Is that I'm a hard worker. I love to work hard. It's like therapy for me. I, I just... Maybe I've got so much anger issues, I just got to work it off on a shovel or a hammer. So I don't know what it is. I just love to work hard. So what happens for a person like me is that I take that into my relationship with Jesus. And I feel like the harder I work for Jesus, the more he loves me. And so I will kill myself in a heartbeat trying to work for Jesus' approval. The hardest thing for me is to take my boots off. I got good socks on. They're not church socks. And just sit down and stop and enjoy his presence. That's hard for me. For those of you that don't have a problem with that, I stay extremely jealous of you. I really do. I'm jealous of people that can just stop and spend time with Jesus. Because it's hard for me. I want to work my tail off. Because I want to hear an attaboy. Right? I want to hear, man, you did good. I want to hear, man, come on, sit next to me. Boy, I saw how hard you was working. He says that to me no matter how hard I work. He says, come sit with me. Come dine with me. Come enjoy my presence. Take your boots off. Put your nail bag down. We're not going to work today. We're not going to work today. I believe that's for somebody here besides me. I really do. You don't have to do anything else to be in the presence of Jesus. You don't have to read your Bible 30 minutes every day and pray for 20 minutes every day to spend time with Jesus. He is always with us. Amen? He's always with you. You can't make him love you any more than he already does. Can you accept that this morning? Can you accept the fact that he loves you no matter what? The gospel is good news because it's for you, but not about you. Here's the funny thing is when I focus on me, my focus gets off of God. Right? When I focus about how well I'm doing or well I'm not doing, then my focus gets off of God and it becomes about me. Does this make sense? It becomes about me and not about him when my focus needs to be on him. If Peter and Barnabas can fall... So can you. If they can drift, so can you. I want to read you this last thing from Martin Luther. He said this. It is a great comfort that the Bible records many celebrated people falling into huge sins. Such errors are given to us so that those who are troubled and desperate may find comfort. 
and that those who are proud may be afraid. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again, and no one has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too may fall. If he stood up again, so can I. Amen? If they can fall, I can fall. If they can stand, I can stand. Some of you today have fallen. Some of you today, you've got this chain on you called condemnation. And because of the decisions you've made, you feel locked up. And you feel restricted in your relationship with Jesus. And you feel like you can't get any closer to him because of this thing. I want that to break today. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not be restored. In other words, there's nothing that you can do to go so far that God can't bring you back. Amen? you got to believe this. you got to believe this. Because the enemy wants you to believe that you've gone too far. You've fallen too many times. You've been down that road too many times. You've crossed the line. Come on, your mama used to say that. I've had enough. Right? Listen, don't look at God as you see your mama. You're going to get confused. God doesn't ever look at us and go, I've had enough. He can, but he doesn't. Amen? Proverbs 24, 16. The godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. You ever fallen down somewhere and you didn't have nobody to help you get up? It's kind of hard, huh? I was pouring concrete one day, and I was going to show all my boys how to bull float because I thought I was better than them. So I got these poles, and I'm doing, boy, and I'm doing a fine job, and I'm doing this, and I'm moving over, and I'm standing in concrete about six inches deep, and I'm floating. And I went to back up, and I stepped in a footing, and I fell on my butt in the concrete. Now, I got this issue with being long torso that my pants seem to hang down a little bit. And I tend to be exposed at times. Well, I got exposed to concrete. And I'm standing, I'm sitting in concrete. And I don't know how to get myself out. Because if I stick my hands in it, right, it's more concrete. Thank God one of my little Mexicans loved me enough to come pull me up. Sometimes we fall and we feel like we can't get back up. And that's where God brings people into your life that you need to allow to be in your life. To help you get back up. Don't try to do this by yourself. If you're a man, grab another man. Say, bro, I need somebody. If you're a woman, grab a lady. Say, girl, I need somebody. Right? See, that's how y'all do that. I want you to stand up with me this morning. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you came here feeling like or believing or but I know this God told me today people are going to leave here with chains off of them and we might have to clean up some chains after everybody leaves and throw them out in the garbage but you were designed and you were created to be free and because of what Jesus did on the cross you're supposed to be free if you came here today with chains on you 
I want you just to release them right now. Right now, I just want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If that's you, just say, just raise your hand real quick. Say, Pastor, that was me. Real quick, I see you. I see you. Thank you. That was me. I want you to pray this with me. I want you to say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my chains. I thank you for the freedom you gave me. I accept your freedom. And I accept your acceptance. Thank you, Lord, for your approval. And thank you for your love. Your unconditional love. That sets me free. And keeps me free. Lord, help me to stay free. Lord, I don't want to be bound up anymore. I hate these chains. Help me to stay free, Lord. If you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I just want to give you this opportunity. Real quick, if you want to receive Jesus, just lift your hands up real quick. Just one hand real quick. Good, I see you. I see you. I see you. Good, good. Good. I want you to pray this with me. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the cross. I accept the fullness of your cross in my life, Lord. I invite you, Jesus, to come and live inside of me. And to have your way with me. I surrender my life to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.